It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. This is Dan here. Thanks for downloading this episode. And many thanks to our listeners who are financially supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash inthekeyofq. You are genuinely helping to keep the series in production and more importantly to give a space for queer voices to be heard. In this week's episode, my guest talks about performing in a very heterodominated music genre and his love of Americana. He speaks about beautiful, flawed relationships and how record company executives pressured him to straightwash his lyrics. Share your thoughts about today's episode on social media using the hashtag queer music or email me direct on podcastedinthekeyofq.com. And if you've a moment, please do subscribe, rate and review the show on your podcast provider. All that's left to say is enjoy the episode. Yeah! Not even independently were there queer country artists singing openly queer lyrics. When you look at the charts on like mainstream radio and there isn't a single openly queer person on there, something's going on. Hello, I'm Dan Hall. When I grew up, I almost never heard pop songs where openly queer men sang about their truths, and it made me feel invisible. There were the occasional heroes like Jimmy Somerville, Mark Almond, and Andy Bell, but in the tsunami of 1980s heteronormative pop, I felt silenced. But these days there are plenty of songs where I can hear openly queer men singing their truths, and this podcast is all about finding and sharing this music and speaking with the musicians who create it. Music helps us feel connected, feel heard, and know that we are not alone on our queer journey. You're listening to In The Key Of Q. I'm particularly fond of the genre featured in this week's episode. Despite growing up in the UK, I've always had a passion for American country music, from Dolly Parton to the modern artists such as Brad Paisley and Tim McGraw. And my guest brings this genre into beautiful queer relief. It is with great pleasure that I welcome my fellow country fan and fellow Brit, Tommy Atkins. Tommy, hello. Hello, Dan. It's so nice to meet you and so lovely to be here. For the last few years, I've had my foot to the floor. Flat out in the fast lane and laying on the horn. Man, I've been obsessed with getting where I want to be. Making no time for myself or Standing still, set a flying past, forcing me to take my foot off the gas. Like I'm stuck behind a tractor on a country road, stuck behind an old man at the grocery store. I have just released my debut album called Truth Be Told, and I've been releasing music for just over two years now. And I've been very lucky to have some number one charts across the UK, Canada, and New Zealand. And my music is more in line with the 90s country that I heard growing up. So lots of fiddle, lots of steel guitar. But I do have openly gay lyrics. And that was something that was really important to me 
as an artist, you know, I wanted to come out and have a real country sound, but also remain true to myself. Why is having an openly queer identity in your music important? I think because I never heard it growing up, particularly in country music. Um, queer country, openly queer country, is it really is a new thing. You know, we, we had a couple of major country stars come out around 2010, 2011 with Shelley Wright and Ty Herndon, but it was kind of after their commercial peak in the 90s and early noughties. And even then, there was backlash to it from, from country radio and the country scene as a whole. So, you know, we never got to hear them on the radio. In pop music, we've had some great songs like Born This Way by Gaga, Follow Your Arrow by Casey Musgraves, which have told people that love is love. Now it is time to show them. It's time to present these songs, you know, the way Sam Smith has done with their music over the last few years. We have that saying banded around a lot, love is love. But one of the great commonalities that I think will help people be more sympathetic to, to the queer cause is that loneliness is loneliness. Heartbreak yeah. is heartbreak. Exactly. And that was one of my main motivations for taking um, one of the Wham songs, which I did a cover of called Freedom, which was obviously a, a big hit for Wham and George Michael back in the 80s. Um, but I think it's kind of a classic over here in the UK. I think everyone knows it. It's one of those songs that, you know, people always start singing along to when you play it live. But those lyrics were sang from, at the time, a closeted gay man publicly to a woman. And that was the first song I released where the pronouns were switched and it was me singing to a man, but it was a story people had heard for years. And I think just that subtle switch of, oh, actually, this is still the same story. It's still the same heartbreak. It's still the same feelings. It's just between two men now instead of a man to a woman. People are only just starting to realize, <laughs> I think, that all of the other emotions are exactly the same as well. It's, it's not, we don't have gay loneliness. It's just loneliness. <laughs> and there'll be a link to Tommy's beautiful cover version of Freedom put in the show notes. We unfortunately can't feature it in the podcast because of clearance issues, but it, it is an amazing cover. And it's curious, I think, how just the switching of the pronouns to something a little more honest completely changes the song i think it's about time straight people started translating we've been doing it our whole lives like that there's some equality straight people can start to translate our stories as well <laughs> i grew up kind of actually between the northeast and essex it it depended on whether my parents were together at the time as to where we were living in the country um so we're up and down the a1 quite a lot and i tended to grow up just in, I would say, fairly small towns. It definitely wasn't the country when I was growing up. Um, but yeah, I grew up in what ended up being a big family where my parents divorced in my early teens. Um, I'm now one of nine kids. Growing up in a working class environment, particularly in the North, in the time I grew up in the 90s and noughties, um, you know, political correctness was not a thing, still isn't. So, you know, I heard the F-bomb thrown about on a daily basis and I think when you're growing up it's, it's just very confusing and very it all gets internalized and you don't really know what to do with it. Like I'm stuck behind a tractor on a country road Stuck behind an old man at the grocery store Baby, 
growing up, um, my dad had a cassette tape in the car back when we had cassette tapes. <laughs> and um, it was a mix of Alan Jackson, who is one of my favorite country artists. And I heard him a lot in the car. And I heard Shania Twain a lot, as I think everyone who lived through the 90s did. And I heard those bits and pieces as a kid that just made a really big impression on me. I loved the music itself. I loved the stories. Even as a kid, I was really drawn to, to the words and what, what the singer was singing about. So when I hit my teens and, you know, the internet became a thing and we got a family computer, I could just go on to Google or Napster as it was in its first iteration then and just search for Alan Jackson. And it would say, oh, you might also like this artist. And that is totally where it blew up for me. I just fell down the rabbit hole and started following the country charts over in the US every week and listening to the top 60 every week. After listening to that for a few years, naturally, when I started writing songs, it just came out country. So uh, I guess you write what you know. Country music always gets a bad rap for having simple lyrics, but the, the lyric does need to be simple to convey the song. And as a writer, it is actually very hard to write simply. I think the way Hemingway did is very hard to write simply. It, it takes a certain, you know, a certain technique, a certain skill to do that. It's all about the narrative and it's about conveying something simply so that people can really feel it and relate to it. And yeah, I think it deserves a much better rap than it gets. It seems to me a ridiculous argument to say that because country music has simple lyrics, it has simple stories. I mean, mm. you listen to something like I Don't Want to Play House, which mm. I discovered through Thelma and Louise because it's playing in the background mm. in one of the scenes. Yeah. Incredibly simple lyrics. Yeah. But good Lord, that song not only conveys a moment, it yeah. also explains to you the entire history of this adult yeah. woman's relationship. Yeah. It is such a shame that country has, was only ever really mainstream in the UK back in the 70s. The genre did continue, but we just didn't really hear about it in the UK, which I think is always kind of sad. I know you said you loved the storytelling and you loved the sound of it, but clearly there was something deeper. Maybe the stories that were being told, there was something that connected you very emotionally to this content, which arguably neither, and me as well, neither of us almost have any right to feel connected to it. We, you know, we're here in, in, on a rainy island, thousands of miles away from dusty roads and, and bottles of beer on, on tires and things like that. What do you think it was that just gripped your heart? Growing up, in what ended up being a big family, you know, I was dealing with my parents' divorce as a teenager and constantly moving around with different friendship circles and, um, and, and figuring out sexuality. I think there was just a lot of emotions going on that I couldn't make sense of. And listening to these songs really just told me that other people have been through it and generally that it was going to be okay. You know, <laughs> like that's always nice to hear in songs. And... And I think as a young person, I, I really gravitated towards that wisdom.
one of the songs I really fell in love with as a teenager is called Strawberry Wine by Dina Carter. And it's just about young love. It's about a girl who meets her boy on her granddad's farm and falls in love with him and ends up having sex with him. But, you know, he leaves for college in the summer. And just the emotions it talks about in that song. But looking back as an adult, you know, the way it implies that the moon that was looking on when the first time they had the made love, you know, the moon knew what was going to happen. It knew the end of the story. And I think there's just something really beautiful about the fact that everyone as a teenager thinks they are the only one who's ever been in love for the first time. They are the only one who's experiencing these things for the first time because the emotions are so big, but actually the world just sees it as a, you know, another love song as a lo another love story that is going to end very soon. Falling in love with my husband was, I think really the first time I heard these country love songs properly, if that makes sense. I think I'd always related to them and maybe with previous relationships thought I was in love for forever. And obviously it didn't turn out to be that way. Um, but I think re kind of hearing these songs I'd heard for so many years in a new light almost made them new as if I was hearing them for the first time. And, you know, as in all marriages, you know, you go through things and the, there is definitely a country song for whatever you're going through in your marriage. So it's always, it's nice and cathartic. You know, if he's pissed me off one day, I'll go listen to a song about being pissed off at your husband. Like it's just, it's, as I say, it's like having a best friend who you can just turn to and go, this thing is really annoying me. Tell me something that's going to make me feel better about it. Love is one of the key themes in country music, as it is in lots of music and all sorts of love. So can you tell us what falling in love was like for you? And what does it mean to you now? Mm. Yeah, I think falling in love... Basically, what have those songs taught you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I think while it was passionate and exciting, it was also very calm. And that was something I'd never experienced before. I think there was just such a an inner knowledge that it was right this time. It, I know that sounds so cheesy and so corny, but it really was just kind of a deep-rooted thing that I knew I'd kind of met my match in life. And, and that is what so many of the, the country love songs talk about, is finding the one, finding your person. And I think one of the lovely things about country music is it's not idealistic about love. It doesn't no. say the one is the one that is perfect or the no. one is the one that will always get it right. It, it, exactly. Country music, I've really always loved it because I feel it's one of the few music genres that gives me permission to be flawed and yeah. gives me permission to love people who are flawed. I think that is so true. And one of the songs on my album called Met the Man, which is a duet with Holier, uh, an amazing Americana artist based over in the US is about exactly that. It's about, you know, it's about when I first met my husband, just kind of saying like, yeah, actually I was, I was kind of an arsehole, you know, I, I was just being generally a bit of a dick and couldn't really find, find it in myself to commit to people. I think there's just something so beautiful about the fact that 
as adults, we are complex. We are not, you know, we're not, we aren't blank pieces of paper that we always come with baggage. There's always stuff. You, it could be one little thing, two years down the line, your husband says something to you and it triggers something from your past that you're going to take out on him. And that's okay. With, if you know that underneath you love each other, you know, you work through things together. I know that was particularly true for the first year of our relationship where all of my neuroses were coming into this relationship and we were slowly unpicking it and going, okay, well, maybe I'm not actually mad at you. Maybe this is something from back then that I'm putting onto you. And um, yeah, country music doesn't shy away from that. It doesn't shy away from people's baggage. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I've listened to country music and I've had therapy and uh, I have to say, I think country music's better and cheaper. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> cheaper <laughs> than a shrink. <laughs> yeah, completely, completely. <laughs> and if it's okay, Tommy, could we listen to a, a bit of Met the Man Now? Of course, here we are. Truth be told, I was an asshole Sleeping in and still living at home I was killed I was free But Lord knows that wasn't me Truth be told I was a lover But couldn't bear myself to another Not afraid to use the words Just afraid of what they meant That was the boy I was back then You write your songs from a very Americana perspective, don't you? They're not set in the world in which you live. And yet at the same time, I guess they contain narratives with which you can closely identify yourself with. What is it about the Americana world that makes you decide to set your songs there rather than set them on a highway, you know, on the A1? <laughs> I think there's something slightly romantic and escapist about it. It's, I know, particularly with my song Kiss Me Cowboy, there's references to cowboys for a start and county fairs and trucks. And there are actually a surprising number of trucks out here where I live and, and tractors as well. People don't believe we have it in England, but it's, <laughs> it's very, very truck heavy and very tractor heavy. Um, but yeah, I think... I think just having listened to the genre for so long, as I say, you kind of write what you know and what I have known for so many years now is country music and all of these little references do slip out in your writing because I guess there isn't something so romantic about talking about, you know, the amusements down at South Shields Beach. You know, it's not it's not quite the same it's not quite the same thing to me as being at a county fair, for instance. The way you kissed me on my cheek that night I never want to let you go And I hope you understand By our tide I hold your hand I'm so glad you met the man And I'm so glad I met 
I kind of try to steer away from the super country references to, you know, constantly referencing trucks and tailgates and drinking barefoot, beer. And, girls putting bare feet on dashboards. That seems yeah, to come up a lot. What is that all does. about? I have no idea. You are asking the wrong guy, Dan. <laughs> I think that image is also some form of escapism for folks because, you know, the people writing these songs are in an air-conditioned writing room in Nashville talking about these things without actually doing them. You know, I think there is, there is, there is an element of escapism to that as well. So many genres have their tropes and have their their things. And very few artists, I imagine, who appear in them actually live those things. And we and we all buy we all buy into the story. The consumers do, the producers do. It's and why shouldn't we? Because that's what art does. Exactly. I, I think that's something that's always been true for country music as well, particularly back in the, you know, the 60s and 70s when folks like Dolly and, you know, Charlie Pride and Tammy were singing about being dirt poor while they are living in a multi-million dollar house with covered in rhinestones. You know, there's there's a there's a paradox there. There's there's something something a bit off. Wasn't it Dolly that said that wonderful quote? It takes a million dollars to look this cheap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think Dolly has had one of those lives that has been so big and so vast and filled with so many events that, you know, it's going to take dozens of podcasts and dozens of books to, to unpack everything she's achieved in, in her time here. I think it's fascinating, particularly hearing about her musical upbringing where, you know, in the mountains of Tennessee, they were hearing all of these ballads brought across from Scotland and Ireland and Wales. And those old medieval songs from the UK did actually have a small hand in creating what is now country music. Amazingly, and I think this is a real testament to you and and how good your music is. I didn't discover you on a Reddit group for British queer artists. I discovered you via an American podcast talking about American country music. Yeah. I had no idea you were British <laughs> and listened to the music, but I knew that you were gay. Mm. And I think that's, there's something wonderfully 360 about that, that yeah. I, I find, you know, I discover what I think, oh, great, I finally found the queer country artist I want to interview. And it turns out that he's, he's in Britain. Yeah, but um, <laughs> you haven't just been sitting and at home in Britain writing about this this world and the genre from afar, because you have actually gone to Tennessee, haven't you, and recorded there? Yeah, so I was out in Nashville. Um, oh, what three years ago now? So 2018, I was there for a prolonged time. I'd been working remotely with a lot of songwriters. Um, for the first few years of my career, I was purely chasing a songwriting career. As I say, writing these songs about men, the publishers wanting to pitch to women. That was that was my shtick for a few years. And um, it was on that trip that I realized there may actually be a place for somebody singing openly gay music because I stopped putting a disclaimer at the start of my songs when I was performing them, you know, instead of saying this would be for a female artist, I was just singing it because I was bored of that narrative by that, that point. Um, and as it turned out, people were intrigued by that because they just hadn't heard it before. You hold the horn on 
your muddy truck and tipped your head as I climbed up. Made me blush as you looked in my eyes and told me I looked good that night. Yeah, you had my heart bumping. As you held my hand at the county fair. As an upcoming person in the music industry, you are continuously told you just do what people tell you to do. You know, you have to jump through the hoops is what you're told to, to have success. And as I say, that was just making me miserable for a long time. It was the twofold thing of, A, my songs aren't really quite reflecting my life anymore because they're being tweaked. But also, two... I was constantly being told to write this new bro country style of country of country music. It was, I was being told to, to change the melodies and the feel of the songs to fit in with what was on mainstream radio specifically, if I wanted to have a meaningful career and that music just didn't inspire me. What inspires me is what I would consider real country music, which was being made back in the nineties and early noughties about real life, all these things we've talked about, you know, love and heartbreak and family and work. And that was what I wanted to write about. It turned out people did actually want to hear it. It was just the music industry folk telling me they didn't want to hear it. But I would not have imagined country music as being a genre which is particularly queer friendly. What has been really fascinating for me is, you know, I've kind of started going down this artist path since 2018 when there was, I mean, nothing. There was not even independently were there queer country artists singing openly queer lyrics. You know, we had the odd artists who, like Brandy Clark, for instance, great, critically acclaimed, Grammy award-winning songwriter and artist who was a lesbian but didn't really talk about it and certainly never had pronouns in her songs. So in 2018, there were still no representations of that out there. So... What's been fascinating for me that since then, as I've started to go on this path, I've seen so many other artists start to do it as well. And we've kind of created this queer country community that is so exciting to me as a, as a listener of country music, finally being able to hear a woman sing to another woman in a country song with fiddle and steel guitar in it is really, really exciting, but also just super comforting that we are all part of this movement together. Where would you suggest we can find this music and who should we be listening to there? Well, I'm going to do a shameless plug for my Spotify playlist called Proud to be Country. Um, it's linked to my radio show, Proud to be Country, that I do on Arc Radio as well. And we're also launching a podcast very, uh, very soon on Spotify. And on the Proud to be Country playlist, there's kind of one song from each artist on there. But I would recommend starting with people like Dorje, the singing shaman, who's based over in Canada, 
her album New Kind of Outlaw is revolutionary and I think in a few years time we'll be looking back on it as queer country standard um Philippa Cookman who is here in the UK as well an amazing artist with an incredible voice um there are literally hundreds of queer country artists now. So many debut albums were released last year by folks like Jamie Wyatt and Waylon Payne. And it is just, as I say, so exciting. But head to Proud To Be Country on Spotify and you'll be able to dig into all those artists' uh, discographies. And of course, we'll put links to that, what sounds like fantastic playlist and the show notes to this episode. Then I hugged you so hard in the summer rain I held your face and told you it's okay Remember that night on the Ferris wheel Cause I'll never forget the way you made me feel When you told me to look at the world out there Ran your fingers through my face blonde hair Pulled off your head and put it Have you encountered any homophobia within country music? When you look at the charts on like mainstream radio and there isn't a single openly queer person on there, something's going on. It's all the implicit stuff. It's being told to change the pronouns on a song because it isn't pitchable. It's, you know, it's playing at a show and, you know, if, if the crowd don't know you, for instance, you know, it's some of the guys turning the hat and looking the other way. It's, it's all the, the little subtle things that, um, that exist in the music industry. What do you think, Tommy, your 15-year-old self would make of you and the man that you've become? I think you'd be surprised. I think, as I say, as a kid, I never really had aspirations to be a singer, to be an artist. I, I did want to write music and be involved in the music industry some way. Um, and I still do very much consider myself an introvert, but I was painfully shy as a teenager. So I think the thought of being on a stage in front of however many people would terrify him. I would have loved to hear openly queer country music as a kid. And I hope that, well, actually, I, I know with how many messages I get from young folk hearing it, that this is the first time for them getting to hear something like that. And I just hope that 15-year-old me would have related to these songs I'm, I'm putting out today. And for those listeners who are falling in love with you, where can they find you online? Yeah, so my website is tommyatkinsmusic.com. And on there, you'll find all the links to to my Spotify's and my Instagram's and everything. But on social media, I'm typically at Tommy Atkins Music as well. Um, and as I say, my music is available on all platforms. And if you do want to buy the CD, that's exclusively through my website. Now, Tommy, we've been listening to your music all the way through the episode, but I like to think we're saving the best till last. If there was one song from, uh, from your catalogue that you feel would be a perfect introduction to you, and would get people listening to everything that you've ever made. What do you think that song would be and why? This is always the most awful question, Dan, in an interview. <laughs> which, of you, which of your darlings do you like the best? Yeah. Kill uh, um, your babies! Yeah. <laughs> oh, I would have to say Cinderella's Had a Drink because it is 
super fun. You know, I, with my OP songs, I do like to inject, you know, my personality and a sense of humor into it. Um, but also musically, um, Michael Cleveland plays the fiddle on this song and he is one of the best fiddle players in the world. And I think just that sound, you know, sonically to this song is so reflective of what I grew up listening to and what I grew up loving. It's um, it really channels that 90s country music. And yeah, if you like that, then you're probably going to like the rest of my music. <laughs> If it's a minute till midnight And your bestie's trying to call it a night Fumbling her words, reaching for her purse Let me clear something up This ain't no fairy tale of play No fairy godmother that's having her way That's brilliant. Tommy Atkins, thank you so, so much for coming and being a guest here on In The Key Of Q. It's been wonderful to hear your story and hear your music. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been absolutely wonderful. And I think this is such a great podcast to be put out into the world. These conversations are important. So thank you for doing the work. She said I'd have a ball and she did Many thanks for listening to this episode with Tommy Atkins. Remember to listen to him on the usual streaming platforms and find links to his homepage in the show notes. And of course, also there is the link to his playlist. We have exclusive Key of Q content over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. And there you can join other listeners by supporting the show's production costs for as little as five US dollars a month. Tell me what you thought about today's episode with Tommy on social media using the hashtag queer music or email me direct on podcast and in the key of Q.com and rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really, really helps. Our theme tune is by Paul Lee Needu at unstoppablemonsters.com. Thanks to Paul Smith, our PR guru, and digital brand manager, Olivier Name. And also thanks to Kajen Kanther and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show is presented and produced as ever by me, Dan Hall, and made at Up Media Consultancy. I'll see you next Tuesday.
one of the things that happens to queer people is our voices are silenced. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really sorry, Dan. Can you hear the cat? He's I can meowing. hear a cat. Yeah, he's meowing. <laughs> I'm just going to open the door. <laughs> Two seconds. <laughs>